the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we will be discussing the second base crop as it's second base week on Rotographs. But first, we are going to start with the most interesting player alive, and that is Red Sox shortstop slash third baseman, Xander Bogarts. And Eno, do you know from your super secret sources what the plan is in Boston for Bogarts next year. Is, is there any speculation yet of what they plan to do? <laughs> I have no sources. <laughs> Come on, you're uh, getting tweets and text messages about this. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, think, um, I think that he's played well enough to, uh, to, to force um, a decision at third base uh, between him and Will Middlebrooks. Um, I just don't know. And I know that there are a lot of people who say he's a fine shortstop and he can play there. Wait, uh, hold on. A fine shortstop? His UZR 150 at shortstop was 53. <laughs> the best shortstop of all time. Um, right, and 47 innings. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, I mean, and they might do something where they just do, they go young uh, and, 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 and play him at short while he's young and athletic, and maybe he he drifts over to third later in, in his career um, when he's bigger. Um, but uh, and, and they could do something where they sign like a Cesar Asturias type, like a, just a backup shortstop. Where sometimes they can put Xander over at third if they're if they are worried about it at all. Um, but I mean, it's nice to have those two guys over there on the corner. I think they'll probably go with Xander at short and Millbrooks at third. Um, just because I think that there's actually going to be a decent amount of interest in Stephen Drew. I think uh, the Cardinals uh, have never had uh, a good shortstop, it seems like, or it's been a long, long time since that guy. Well, they had Fercal, but Fercal was injured. I mean, when he was healthy, he was decent. They had old Fercal, yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since since the days of Ozzy, I guess. And uh, uh, and then the Mets, um, you know, Ruben Tejada was supposed to be a cheap replacement for Reyes, and I still actually believe that he could be sort of a two-win guy just based on some patience and some defense. But um, I'm not sure that the Mets agree with that. So uh, one of the things that I've been saying for the Mets is is some combination of, of Drew and, and one of the outfielders, Grandy, and, and um, I mean Drew, and one combination of uh, either Grandy or Chu, which whoever is cheaper. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense for the Mets because they're looking to spend a little bit of money. I would so guess I, Granderson, just based on the seasons that they had this year, would be cheaper. What did you say? I said I would, I would guess that it would be Granderson that would be cheaper than Chu just based on their respective seasons. And I don't actually think that it should be that way, not to get too much into real baseball, because I was just looking at this. Uh, Granderson's a year older, so yeah, a year, but not not a lot. Um, and Granderson, uh, is projected for three and a half wins, uh, this year. Um, and I don't think that Chu should necessarily project, be projected for much more. 
Um, and if you talk about choose, if you talk about Granderson's platoon splits, then you might as well talk about choose platoons platoon splits because both of them have had issues with that. Um, uh, so if Chu goes for near a hundred, like his, like his crazy ass, uh, agent it wants. <laughs> and, um, I think Grandy might, because of the injuries, uh, or the injury last year, at least might go for like four and 50 or four and 60. And if there's a 30, $40 million difference, I'm taking Granderson. Yeah. He would be a bargain at that price. Yeah. All right, so back to Drew. So you figure that the Red Sox are not going to re-sign Drew, and that would open up the shortstop spot for Xander Bogarts to play full-time there. I think so. And the thing that uh, – the weird, what's weird for me uh, is that the thing that has been most impressive to me about uh, Bogarts um, is the patience. Um, and I think the ability – you know, I think that he'll improve that strikeout rate because – um, so far he's got a little bit above average swing strike rate, but, uh, not, not a lot because the, the league average this year for non-pitchers is 9.2 in swinging strike. So that's up a little bit. And he was at 10.2 in the regular season, uh, small samples, of course, on all of this. But the point is I watched him look really bad against Wainwright in the last game. And he looked like he did, he was swinging when he thought it was going to be a curveball and it was a fastball. And then when he thought it would be a fastball, it was a curveball. And he looked like he had no idea what to do when at bat. In the next at bat, he waited for the curveball and showed that he could make contact with the curveball and that he had learned something from the first at bat. And he, it wasn't like a home run or anything; it was a single up the middle. But just that two plate appearance sequence made me feel like this is a guy who's going to get better as he learns the league, um, and he's going to have close to average strikeout rates uh, plus walk rates. Uh, I think the power will get better and better. And, uh, you know, you don't need to have speed from your shortstop. What do you expect out of him compared to the steamer projection? Because I think the steamer projection is pretty fair. 14 home runs and about 550 at-bats, 256 batting average, 7 steals. In terms of Woba, only a 314 mark. I would actually take the over. But in terms of counting stats, I think that's pretty fair. I probably would go with a slightly higher BABIP, and so maybe a 265 rather than a 256. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, the, the main thing that uh, jumps out at me, especially since he's in the postseason now against better pitchers and he's got a 20% walk rate, is I think that the walk rate's too low. It has him yeah. below league average, and you know he's just I think he's shown himself to be a patient young man. I think that's one of the things that people are really talking about. So, you know, you take the over on that, you can push the uh, on-base percentage up if that matters to you. Probably closer, over league average, I think, 330 or so. Um, and that, that'll, uh, that'll push everything up a little bit, I think, just because patience, I think, has a, has a, is a virtue across the board. But in terms of, you know, uh, 14 home runs, 7 stolen bases, decent runs in RBI, uh, I think I might take the under on the stolen bases, um, but he's going to be 22 next year, so I don't think you're necessarily going to get much more than 14 home runs next year. Um, so I think it's a decent. I think that's a decent thing to look at to be like as excited as you're going to be about him at the end of this series uh, and at the end of this postseason where he's hitting 350. Uh, it's good to look at the projections and, and rein yourself in a little bit. And you know what? I don't think he's that much different than Manny Machado. Well. It, He's probably going to play short, and I don't think... Well, yeah, but in terms of just counting stats and fantasy value, and, and I was just looking at the, the Steamer Manny Machado projections, and they're 
fairly similar, almost identical actually, but I bet that Machado is going to go for a lot more money than Bogarts in nearly every single league. You know, this is off topic, and we'll probably return to it when we start talking about third baseman or whatever, but um, I think Manny Machado is going to be very overrated in drafts next year, despite the injury, just because, you know, I look, I took a peek at his value, and it was $11 last year. And I think that a lot of people think he's going to be worth a lot more than $11. Yeah, well, also one thing that's important that I didn't even realize, he had 667 at-bats this year, and that really boosted all of his counting stats. You can't possibly project that many at-bats again. Especially after an injury, which might hold him out into the regular season. Yeah, of course. All right, let's talk about a request that we got on Twitter from Chip Bulkner, and that's Masahiro Tanaka, the Japanese pitcher. He's going to be 25 next year. He's a right-handed starting pitcher. What do we know about Tanaka, you know? Um, well, I would say that uh, if you want just like a pithy one-liner, um, you know, I made a big deal when you Darvish was coming that you Darvish is better than Daisuke. Um, and, you know, now that you Darvish has sort of set the more, a more modern um, uh, sort of benchmark for, for a great Japanese pitcher, I will say that I don't think Tanaka is as good as you Darvish. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, just the velocity that Darvish was coming over with was, was consistently mid-90s. Whereas Tanaka sits in the low 90s, um, Darvish's fastball has a lot of movement. Tanaka's fastball um, sometimes it's flat. So I think that those two things, um, you know, mean that it, there's a big deal about where he ends up. I think if he ends up in an American League team with a with a iffy fastball, um, you know, I would I'd be a little bit worried. Even though his splitter is great and his slider is good, um, so those are two two. Plus pitches on the other end. Yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but I wanted to go over the full scouting report that I read. Low 90s fastball, touches 96, and it didn't mention what you were saying about the flatness of it, that some scouts say it makes it more hittable than the velocity would suggest. He also has that excellent splitter and a good slider, and he mixes in that curveball. And when looking at that pitch mix and the fact that he's coming over from Japan, that makes me think that he's very comparable to Hiroki Kuroda, or maybe he's a slightly harder-throwing version of a Hasashi Iwakuma. And those two pitchers are very similar. They're both ground ball guys with very good control and decent albeit on spectacular strikeout rates, you know, in the, in the high sixes, low seven range. And that sounds very much like what we might be able to expect from Tanaka, which is a solid but not great fantasy pitcher. Yeah, and then, I mean, I, I still think, um, you know, in a redraft league, let's say um, Tanaka goes to the, to the Yankees because that's a, that's a rumor. And let's say the Yankees re-sign Kuroda because Kuroda uh, has said that it's basically, I think, something like um, uh, it's, it's like L.A., New York, or bust, uh, or, or he goes back home, I think. So let's say the Yankees uh, re-sign Kuroda and they sign Tanaka and uh, Iwakuma's out in Seattle. I'll take uh, Iwakuma, then I'll take Kuroda, and then I'll take Tanaka because uh, Iwakuma and Kuroda have done what they've done. And Iwakuma is slightly younger than Kuroda, and they've, they've shown that they can make the transition to the to the uh, American League. And Tanaka, I would just be worried about the fastball, like I said. Um, well, then again, you know Koji Uehara's um, 
uh, fastballs is not uh, the reason he's so excellent. So <clears throat> there's a there, but hey, actually, you know what? Uehara's fastball is not flat. So I think that all these guys have a lot of movement on their fastballs, and if Snaka doesn't have a ton of movement on his fastball, he might find it a little bit harder. Yeah, I mean, clearly, just given the risk from coming from the unknown with Tanaka, I agree with that order of Iwakuma, Kuroda, Tanaka. But just looking at his Japanese stats and his scouting report, he does seem fairly similar to those two guys that I wouldn't be surprised if he posted similar stats. Now, obviously, Iwakuma, I think he posted a, a sub-3 array. Kuroda was at, like, 3 and change. I'm not expecting that, but more closer to their Sierra marks, you know, maybe a high, say, a 3 63-70 mark for Tanaka with, say, uh, a 7 strikeout per 9, a high 40 to maybe a 50% ground ball rate, and maybe uh, a low 2 uh, walk rate, which would make him a very solid guy and uh, a pretty good whip as well. And probably somewhere in the high single digits in terms of fantasy value and maybe, uh, you know, a 12th rounder or something. And I, I think that's probably a fair projection and without knowing how bad that fastball might actually be. Well, you know, in the 12th round, I like him because there, obviously there's the sort of Iwakuma, Kuroda-esque upside, um, you know, and not, and not just because they're all Japanese, but because they're fastball splitter guys um, with, it, you know, 90, 91, 92 mile an hour fastballs in great control. I mean, yes, they're, they're Japanese, and no, I'm not racist. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if I could get... Iwakuma esque because I think Iwakuma is going to be more expensive next year, and I think Kuroda would even go before the twelfth round. Um, so if I could get, you know, now that we've introduced price back into the discussion, like we often do, um, I might be more interested in Tanaka in the twelfth than you know Iwakuma in the sixth or seventh. And of course, all this is pending where he ends up. I mean, when you said LA, you meant the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, but that's for Kuroda. I mean, for Tanaka. Um, you know, the rumors have been, uh, I, I've heard a lot about him out here uh, in San Francisco. Um, and the the other rumors is uh, the Yankees. If the posting rules don't change, it favors the sort of Boston, um, New York, uh, L.A., Dodgers, it, even the Angels. It favors the teams that are close to the luxury tax that don't want to go into the luxury tax. Um, and they'd rather spend you know, 50 million off the books on a hundred million dollar pitcher. Yeah. So obviously it's going to depend on where he ends up, what park, uh, what league and to, to figure out exactly where he might go and how good he can be. But Tanaka looks like a pretty solid guy. I don't think he's going to be anywhere close to elite or Darvish like just because he does not have the strikeout rate or, or the fastball to really get there. But he seems like a solid, potentially safe choice with a good whip at the very least. All right, let's start talking about second base. And once again, we'll begin with a sleeper and a bus. So, you know, give us a sleeper at second base. Uh, I really hope we don't end up with the same one again. Um, Probably will. Yeah. Well, I, I think, actually, I, I went a little bit different. Uh, we'll see what you say. But um, I, I decided that there could actually be a sleeper in the top three. Wow. Um, you definitely went different because I did not look at the top three for my sleeper choice. Right. So uh, Jason Kipnis is my sleeper. And the and I think I've, uh, I've come upon my first bold prediction for next year. I think Jason Kipnis is going to be the number one second baseman next year. Interesting. Uh, and the reason I say this is um, 
you know, obviously with 30 steals to uh, Carpenter's three and, and Cano's seven, um, he's got a big boost there. Uh, Kipnis came up short in average. The other two guys were over 310. So he'll have to make it up with those steals and homers. And the big thing that we that people say about Kipnis is that he can't handle the second half. He's terrible in the second half. And I have two things to say back to that, which is one, we haven't really shown that uh, seasonal splits are predictive on a on a you know on a population it's, level. So it's only been two seasons. It's only been two seasons. He's a younger guy. Maybe it's just about getting to know. You know, one of the things that uh, Dave, Dave Fleming once told me was. Uh, the mo- one of the most underreported aspects and the most underconversed aspects of baseball is the daily grind and just how hard it is to get up every day and play baseball. And well, I know how hard it is to get up every day and actually do work and go to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can imagine doing some physical activity every right. day. So I think it's not it's not such much a surprise. And then also um, the last thing I'd say about it is he had a. a like a, it's mostly power that disappears a little bit in the second half, and he had like a .090 ISO in um, in his first second half. I mean, in his non-debut in his first full season second half, and then last year he had a 110 ISO. So you know, uh, it's math uh, that he's going to have a 130 ISO next year. Uh, but no, I just think I think that I'll take the over on 17 homers, and I, and I'll push that um, to the point where for my bold prediction, um, I might. Uh, predict something close to 30-30. And if you get 30-30-280 or even 25-30-280 uh, and Cano, who's uh, in his 30s, uh, takes any step back to 24 homers, you know, 100 RBI, 305 average, that I think Kipnis beats him. I mean, Kipnis only came up $3 short this year. Yeah, and, and that upside is basically Ian Kinsler in his prime. And I'm pretty sure Ian Kinsler did have a season or two where he was the number one second baseman. So if Kipnis did that, then, I mean, there's a strong possibility. But are you worried about his stolen base total? I mean, if you look at his, let's start with his SPD score, his speed score, 5.9 last year, which was, you know, just a bit above average, but clearly nowhere close to a speed demon. Only four triples this year, four triples the previous year. Everywhere you look, I mean, clearly this is not a really fast guy. This is not a speed demon. So don't you worry that the stolen bases are going to suddenly fall off and maybe reach the high teens? Um, I mean, it's a worry. Uh, Steamer doesn't seem to worry too much. I mean, the, the thing that I would say in, in return is that he's been a high percentage stealer. So, um, you know, 66 out of uh, 70 uh, out of 80 chances is pretty good. Um and Steamer has him uh, with 100 fewer at-bats almost, or, or 70 fewer at-bats, stealing 21. Um, I'd be comfortable putting him down for 25 without the bold prediction aspect. Um, and uh, like, honest, like an honest back-of-the-napkin projection for me that isn't pie in the sky is 280-25-25. Yeah, I mean, he also did not show any type of – hints that he had this type of stolen base prowess in the minor leagues either. And you don't normally see guys who aren't big base stealers in the minors all of a sudden steal 30 bases in the majors. And I don't remember if I made this as a bold prediction or if I actually put it in print anywhere, but I thought that there was a good chance he would hit more home runs this year than steal bases. And obviously that didn't happen, 
but I think that's another bold prediction worth making next year. It, that's just a concern because you're expecting that stolen base pace to keep up for him to maintain his value, and he just doesn't have the the track record and the speed to really be confident that that's going to continue to happen. Yes, he's been a very good base stealer, but I don't know if that's enough to be confident that he continues to steal 25-plus bases. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously totally agree with you in terms of a, a career uh, curve or arc. I mean, I, there's uh, there's going to be a time soon when, yes, he hits more homers than, than, than steals bases. Um, I just, you know, he's 26 this year, 20, going on 27. Uh, I just don't think the time is now. I think he's, he's, he's ready to have a career year. Um, yeah, I mean, aside from that risk, I, I do like Kipnis for next year, and I'm not really concerned about those second half troubles. And the and the other thing that um, that makes me feel a little good about it is that I've seen some early um, I've seen some early sort of crowdsourced rankings, um, crowdsourced uh, ADP style stuff, a, a survey that went around for next year already. Yeah, and. Um, you know, I, let me actually open up the. Uh, I think I have it in my Excel here. Let's see here. All right, while you open that up, my sleeper is a guy that we've actually talked about, but may have been forgotten because he didn't get enough at bats to make Zach Sanders' value calculator, and that's Josh Rutledge, who you probably are not surprised to hear. And it's funny, <laughs> it's funny that I mentioned Rutledge because I actually included him on my bold predictions as a player who would actually get demoted to the minors by the end of May. And that's exactly what happened. And yet now I'm doing a turnaround, and I'm now naming him once again as a sleeper for next year. Now, of course, we don't know exactly what the Rockies are going to do. They still have DJ LeMayhew, and, uh, who might open the season as a starting second baseman. But if Rutledge is the guy, he still has that nice power-speed combination. He showed a better strikeout rate in the minors. He's got the walk rate back up. He basically suffered from a low BABIP. Everything else looks pretty good. So in Coors Field, he's still got that 15-15 upside with a decent 270-280 batting average. And you can probably get him for super cheap with the potential to be a, a top 10 guy at the position, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, if we're going to go deeper. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Brett Lowry. Um yeah, I, I, I kind of ignored Laurie. I figured we would talk about him with a third-base crop just because I don't think he's going to qualify very many leagues at second base. He only played six times there. Oh, six times. Yeah, that's probably not going to do it. Um, uh, then the then my other two sort of deeper ones were Jorko and Walker. Um, but before we get into that, the, the uh, one thing I did want to say was that uh, the, the, the first ranking I've, I've seen had um, Kipnis in the high 40s, uh, 47. And um, I'll take him at the end of the second round. Beginning of the third round, he wouldn't make it out of the third round for me. Yeah, that's end of fourth round ADP. Yeah, so um, I'm going to – I might take him. Um, the reason I saw this is because I'm on a panel um, this weekend in um, at the AFL for First Pitch Arizona. And um, – one of my panels is on pitching, uh, using pitching stats, um, and how to, how to use pitching stats and secondary stats. All stuff that my readers will know about platoon splits on pitches, injury rates on pitches, why I like the change up, that sort of stuff. 
Um, but the uh, one of the other things I'm doing is participating in a panel where we're going to mock the first two rounds, and each of us is going to pick a player and uh, and <clears throat> say why we you know why we picked him basically. You know, I have a feeling that if Kipnis's splits were reversed, what he did in the first half, he actually did in the second, and the second in the first. I bet his 47 ADP, he would go a lot earlier. Because I, I, I guarantee that the way he finished the season hurt his value. Because 47, given those final season statistics, seems a bit late to me. Yeah, I think so. Um, so we'll have to see where he ends up. But uh, the third best second baseman, uh, where the second best second baseman has like a, a really obvious stat that looks like it could you know, it'll come back about 20. I'm talking about Matt Carpenter's 126 runs. <laughs> um, I think that means that he's probably the consensus best second baseman going into next year, unless you uh, predict a, a big bounce back in power for after he gets his thumb fixed. Um, so I, I think he's safely the second, second best second baseman. And, you know, on some level, I want the first or second best at each position in the first two rounds. Oh, I was going to say, at every position, I'm like, yeah, I'm with you there, too. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to Every position would be quite a feat. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, that's, uh, so that's, that's, what's, that's what I'm doing this weekend. How about you? <laughs> oh, sure. You go all the way to Arizona to speak to the fantasy nerds. <laughs> no, actually, I would, I would love to go. I've never gone there, but it's just expensive with the airfare and then the hotel. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really want to hang out with you, so. Oh, well, suck it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I I look forward to our our Fangraphs retreat all the time, and Appleman always helps us out on that a little bit, and uh, and uh, spring training, it has its fun too. AFL, there's kind of a, a desperation in the AFL where it's like, oh my God, I got one last chance to get my baseball fix before the winter, and uh, I think spring training has more of a like, oh, we've got a whole summer in front of us. Different vibe. Well, at least it'll be a little cooler, I would think, in Arizona this time of year. Yeah, it's pretty much perfect. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about a bust at the position. Who do you got? Uh, I think I'm going to go at the top and, and do Carpenter. Yeah, I think that was pretty obvious. I, I went with the same one. There was one other guy that I considered, but I'll get to him after we talk about Carpenter. Well, I tried to I tried to not focus on on batting average on balls in play in my post on Carpenter this week, and I just tried to focus on that on that run total, and you know with 126 runs, you know if you want to keep doing that, if you want to you know keep putting up plus plus runs, there are like three things you need to do. Uh, one is you need to play for a great team. Uh, that seems like a check in Carpenter's favor. Two, uh, you need to get on base a lot. Um, and that is a check in, in Carpenter's favor, but the guys who have done it consistently have walked even more than Carpenter. So Carpenter walks around 10% of the time, which is nice, but only a percent or two above league average. Uh, Abreu used to score 100 runs a lot, um, and he did it with 15 to 16 to 17% run, uh, walk rates. So, uh, so Carpenter doesn't quite walk like you know the legendary walkers. And then the last thing is you actually need power. You need power to score a lot of runs because you plate yourself. 
Um, and, uh, you know, if a guy, you know, the other guys that were on those lists were Albert Pujols was on the list three times. Alex Rodriguez was on the list three times. Those guys hit 30 to 40 homers a year. That's 40 runs that you created to yourself. You know, those are 40 runs you played it yourself. So uh, Carpenter's going to hit 10 to 12 to 13 next year. Um, so I, I, I think uh, it's safe to say that he might score 100 runs next year, but uh, I'm not penciling him in for anything over 105 in any projections. Yeah, and just given his lack of home runs and steals, he doesn't have a lot of downside cushion because you're banking on the runs and uh, a good enough BABIP to sustain a 300 batting average. Without that, you basically got nothing. So, I mean, there's a real risk that he's kind of he drops close to replacement level. I mean, he could drop pretty far. Let's say you gave him 100 RBI, uh, 100 runs and 80 RBI, which, you know, that's just taking 20 runs off and giving a couple more RBI. Uh, and then you give him 12 homers and a 300 batting average. I think he would slot in. This year he would have slotted in right behind Brandon Phillips, uh, who hit 18 uh, homers, had 80 runs instead of RBI, had 100 RBI instead of runs. So basically the flip, but 18 homers and a 261 average. I think he would be the seventh best this year if you gave him 100 runs. Um, so that's and that's giving him his average this year. So I don't think that he can drop all the way because I think he'll still be on that on that same offense, and I think he'll probably still have a 300-plus batting average. But, um, you know, people are going to pay a lot more than for the eighth-best second baseman. Yeah, clearly, because, I mean, there's also, I, I see some sources of upside. He had 55 doubles, and some people do subscribe to the idea that doubles turn into home runs. And you think maybe that would be a possibility, and maybe he's got upside for mid-teens to high-teens home runs. So there's that. Uh, I mean, that's really about it, though. Kind of done in that respect. Yeah, and, and if you look up and down the lineup, uh, up and down the top five, um, if you don't have stolen, if you don't have stolen bases, you hit 30, close to 30 homers. So even if he pushes that homer total up to 18 and the runs go down, he's still going to be out of the top five, I think. <clears throat> All right, let's talk about Jed Jerko since you mentioned him. Earlier and jerk. Wait, I didn't give him. Wait. Oh, my other bust. Oh, you have another bust. I have another bust because I wrote about another guy, Brandon Phillips. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, just real quick, uh, I had I have in my post on Brandon Phillips today. I have like a list of stats where he was in a five-year. Uh, he hit a five-year worst, and the list hits every part part of his game and is is every sort of stat like it's it's like eight or nine or ten stats long and it's just like you know swinging strike rate strikeout rate uh you know batted ball distance iso slugging percentage um you know stolen bases uh like every part of his game is on his way out he's 32 he's dependent a lot on his physical um tools he's not doesn't have good play discipline uh he's had a better strikeout rate than his swinging strike rate and i think you know, that's going to he's going to get a worse and worse strikeout rate as he ages. And the kicker is he might get traded out of Cincinnati and his ISO is like um, like 180 in Cincinnati and like 140 everywhere else. So um, I think, you know, if he leaves Cincinnati, a reasonable projection for him is probably something like 260, you know, 14 homers. Yeah. And no other team, I'm assuming, is going to be silly enough to bat Brandon Phillips cleanup. 
So that's going to hurt. Or second. Guy. Or second. I, I don't know about that because Brandon Phillips, he plays second base, and you know how all second base got <laughs> to hit second. But seriously, for whatever reason, that it's just like when I think of Brandon Phillips, I think of a number two hitter even though statistically he's not. So I wouldn't be so sure he's not going to hit second. But if he does go to a, a decent offense, yeah, there's a risk he's going to bat fifth or sixth, and that's going to really hurt all of his counting stats. Yeah. I mean, let's say he went to San Francisco, and they, in the past, have played some low on-base percentage guys um, second in the second hole. Um, and uh, and I think, actually, Cincinnati's talking about, you know, we wouldn't mind taking your second baseman back because Dan Ugla somehow got involved in the conversation. But I don't think they want Dan Ugla. And, uh, but if they took Scudero and, and sent Phillips, and they saved a bunch of money on the back end of the deal, um, Phillips might bat second in San Francisco just because of the way they put their lineups together, but he won't hit 18 homers in San Francisco. In fact, I might push that homer projection down to like 12. Yeah, San Francisco is not going to be a good destination for him. O- only good in terms of batting order spot, but yeah. that's going to kill his power. His, uh, th- th- that lineup obviously isn't nearly as good as Cincinnati's is, so that's going to hurt his RBI and his run production. And if he's not stealing bases anymore, then he's just not somebody that I want on my fantasy team. Yeah. All right. Now can we get to Jed Jerko? <laughs> yeah. All right. So Jed Jerko finished 18th in fantasy value, which is a surprise given that he did hit 23 home runs. But I guess it's because he just was not on a very good offense. And so his runs and RBI is barely above 60. He only batted 249. He basically was the J.J. Hardy of second base. And I, I call him that because he doesn't steal bases, which you normally expect from your middle infielder. And he's basically empty power. I, he only contributes in, in home runs. And maybe the RBIs will come along with it. Yeah, I mean, I he also uh, only had 520 plate appearances, so um, there's some upside in just playing time uh, that probably hurt his counting stats. Um, he definitely, I think he played, I think he hit lower in the order a little bit too. Um, but I think they're happy with him. You know, I think that they that he did a pretty good job for his first year. I think his walk rates are going to go up in the future. His strikeout rates have a chance to go down. Uh, I don't know if they will necessarily with that swing strike rate, but um, I think the walk rates could go up a little bit. I think the powers, they're happy with it. So uh, I think he might move up in the order a little bit. Um, So I think you could project him into sort of the 80 runs and RBI um, totals uh, next year with a full playing time, a little bit better batting position. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think there's much home run for fly ball upside. He was at about 16% this year with a 288-foot batted ball distance. So I think that at this point, that's basically his ceiling. But the good news is he definitely has BABIP upside. He's got a really good batted ball distribution, above-average line drives, uh, basically similar rates of ground balls and fly balls, and he avoided the pop-up. So that looks pretty good to me. I did not run his ex-BABIP in the calculator, but it seems like that's well above 300, and he only posted a 287 mark. So that can potentially get him up to the 270 range. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, he had some decent. Uh, he had he. There might be a little bit of Homer upside. I mean, uh, he had way better numbers in the minor leagues. But the problem is, of course, um, 
both of their minor league parks are pretty decent for hitters. So it's kind of hard to look at a Padres hitter that was playing in Tucson and say much about his power. Yeah, so again, I mean, the J.J. Hardy comparison just jumps out at you. It was, you know, 260, 270, 25 home runs. That's J.J. Hardy at second base with maybe a steal or two. Yeah, I, you know, I like um, I like the Jerko Walker um, area. I, I feel like, um, you know, maybe even Dozier, that those three guys are going to fall and – end up being my middle infielders uh, in a lot of leagues next year. Hey, he does actually have further batting average upside, aside from the BABIP, and you, you mentioned his strikeout rate. He swung and missed a ton this year, but if you look at his minor league strikeout rates, they're a lot better. So even though the swinging strike kind of validates the bad strikeout rate, you got to think that he did better in the past in the minors. He's got that ability somewhere in him. And so maybe he does have the potential to improve that strikeout rate next year. So in conjunction with an improved BABIP, we could see a 280 season. Yeah, I think so too. And, and that could really boost his fantasy value going from 249 to 280, along with 25 home runs and maybe 80, 85 RBIs and 70, 75 runs batting in the middle of the lineup. So that's a, that's a pretty solid guy and certainly would make him a lot better than the 18th ranked second baseman next year. Yeah, I, I like uh, I like those guys. Like I said, uh, you know, I guess he probably has more upside than uh, Walker, who's a little bit older. Dozier steals bases, but I, I, I'm worried about his infield fly rate. So, you know, I think among those three, I'm comfortable waiting for the dropper. Um, you know, Howie Kendrick is always going to get a guy who believes uh, he's going to hit 330 this year. Um, so I'll just take uh, – I'll take one of those guys – Maybe I'll take two of those guys to be on middle infield and just be be safe. But um, I don't think you're going to spend a lot of money on those guys, and I think they do have decent upside. All right. Daniel Murphy, the number four second baseman. If you were told before the year that he was going to be the number four second baseman, you would have laughed the guy out of the room, right? Yeah, and mostly because uh, I had him pegged as a total Michael Young guy where, um, you know, Iffy defense, uh, part of the, the home crowd loves him maybe more, more than they should. Um, he has, you know, a nickname. Um, he, uh, and then he also, Young and him both had like uh, bottom five in the league, uh, home runs plus stolen base totals, um, you know, so among qualified hitters. So I, I figured he would uh, do another season where he hit 10 homers and stole five bases and uh, was a total one-cat guy. And then he pulled the Jason Kipnis and all of, of us, and he stole a ton of bases that you would never have guessed based on his track record and his speed. And, you know, I watch a lot of Mets, so I watched a lot of the season this year, and uh, I would I would never have guessed that he stole 23 bases. I didn't even notice them, so... I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, on some levels, you could say um, it's a good thing because he can continue to surprise people. But I think, you know, I think you just look at him. He's not a guy you'd think would steal 25 bases. So I, w I would pencil him in for 8 to 10 next year. Yeah, and Steamer pencils him in for 12, but that's coming in an over 100 less plate appearances. So if he stayed completely healthy and stuck in the number two, number three hall all season long, 
then the steamer projection would obviously go up, and and that's looking more like a mid to high teens stolen base. So not as big of a drop off as one might expect. I'm also curious about the power because most of his power boost was well, yeah, more at bats, but also his fly ball rate went from 25% in 2012 to 36%. And that's a huge change in fly ball percentage. So you wonder if he changed his swing and and if that boost in fly ball rate is actually going to be sustainable. Because if it is, then he's going to hit over 10 home runs again. He's only got a 6.3% home run per fly ball rate. That better be repeatable. So I think yeah, it's down to the fly ball. I mean, it just it might depend on was it what his advisors say to him because uh, the added uh, oomph in terms of slugging percentage um, wasn't worth the, de- the degradation of his um, BABIP and uh, and on base percentage. I mean he was uh, he was only slightly he was a little bit better than he was in 2012, but in 2011 when he had the uh, one one of the more extreme um, ground ball, fly ball splits, and had a 3.45 BABIP. He was worth more. So um, he's a really flawed player, man. I, I, I think uh, this. There's a recent report that came out that he's not untouchable. I think the Mets uh, would really not mind trading him at, at all. And uh, you know, he's just a guy who struggles to to walk at an like he's nowhere, He's not going to walk anywhere near an average rate, and he's basically. Uh, a value just because he can uh, make contact. Otherwise, I mean, I think his defense is only going to get worse. He's not really a second baseman. Um, you know, his bat doesn't play at first base. So I think they'd be looking to trade him for someone who needs a third baseman this season. But the funny thing is, is that I wouldn't be shocked. I think it's decent odds and better than most would assume that he actually out-earns Matt Carpenter next year. Hmm. Well, that would depend a little bit on what uh, what – offense he gets on he did score 92 runs and if he if he uh if he scored more next year and carpenter scored fewer and they both scored around 100 runs and uh murph you know stole another 15 bases that would be you know 10 more than than carpenter did at least um and they probably might hit about the same home run so then it would come down to average yeah so i mean murphy kind of looks like a poor man's matt carpenter but he's got the steals and even though we figure he's going to regress, he still did steal 10 bases in 2012, and that's more than Carpenter stole and is going to steal. So even if we drop him down to 10 and Daniel Murphy goes 10-10, that's better than Matt Carpenter. And then it just comes down to the run score total and the, the batting average. So I, I think they're going to be fairly close and a lot closer than most assume. Yeah, and there is nothing worse than trying to climb a hill uh, created by a bad uh, early batting average in you know, that is a risk I think you take with Dozier, Neil Walker, and uh, Jerko to an extent. So if the backlash against him is way too heavy uh, in my league, and I'm looking at Walker, Dozier, uh, Jerko, and Murphy, I think I might take Murphy. I mean, you know, batting average is a nice thing to have. He has a 290 career batting average. Um, I take the over on the steamer projected 283. And, uh, and, you know, you get double-digit homers and steals, maybe, and, 
you know, that's it's not super sexy, but it's safer than the other four, the other three. Yeah, and the funny thing about Daniel Murphy is that even though he's clearly coming off of what looks to be a career fantasy season, I can't imagine that anybody actually believes in him. And so I don't think he's actually going to be overvalued. I still think he'll be one of the last second basemen to go off the board, kind of near replacement level. And I think he'll be either fairly or undervalued, and you'd still be able to get him cheap. Yeah, I agree. Especially because he plays for the Mets, and nobody ever wants to admit drafting a Met, except if his name is David Wright. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.